0: All right, great. Thanks, everyone, for joining me again here on Gaudium et Spes 22 podcast and YouTube video, uh, both. And I'm always excited when I have guests. I get very excited for these interviews. But this is an interview like a few that I've had that has had a few cancellations along the way. So I'm really, really happy that it finally worked out. This is a uh, Wednesday evening, 6 p.m., my time, Eastern Time. And I'm excited about tonight's guest because I just told her off-camera off, off camera, uh, that even though we've never met in person, I feel like I actually know her since we've interacted on on Facebook, but also we have, we both live on farms and so on, and uh, we both think the church is pretty screwed up, and and so we have some things to say about that, but I'm talking about, and a lot of you know her, especially uh, those of you who are my friends on Facebook, the one and the only, finally on my show, the Letitia Achoa Adams. Letitia, thank you so much for coming on today.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm so excited.
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh, Leticia has a bachelor's degree in philosophy from Holy Apostles Seminary in Connecticut. I knew some people that used to teach there, but all of a sudden I can't remember their names, uh, but that's <laughs> a good place. That's a, that's a quality place. I re- I knew a lot of really good people that, that taught there. Uh, but l- l- before we get into her story and that's, it's a really interesting story. And so we want, we want to unfold that. I want to plug her book, and for those who are viewing, here it is right here, uh, but for those who are just listening on the, on the podcast, it is Letitia Achoa Adams, Our Lady of Hot Messes, Getting Real with God in Dive Bars. I love that. Dive Bars and Confessionals. I have the co-owner of our Catholic Worker Farm, Father John Gribowicz, who is a priest, teaches out in San Francisco now. He's like basically freelancing as a priest now, <laughs> he, he, but anyway, he, he now talks about his his dive bar ministry. That's 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 his I dive, love it <laughs> dive bar ministry. But you have a, the reason why I want you on the show is because mainly because I, I have a deep deep appreciation as a parent uh, for the fact that you had a very traumatic experience happen to you about five six years ago now twenty seventeen, where your son Anthony uh, committed suicide. And uh, I have followed your comments about that on Facebook, and and you talk about it in in your book here very movingly. So I I thought, well, not only do I like Letitia from a distance, because we have this common back to the land, Catholic farm, rancher thing going, whatever you want to call it. uh, And she's also very smart and funny and hard hitting. uh, But I, I thought that she might have some really unique insights into suffering i mean i'm a parent myself i only have one child uh but i i and i know there might be people out there listening who have had children that have uh committed suicide no i don't want to necessarily lead off with that but i I want to just uh throw that out there that's kind of the elephant in the living room it's one of the main things that i want to talk about but before we get to that you you just have this fascinating story patisha your your life story So uh, and, and in the beginning of your book, you kind of go through uh, your life story, the fact that you were sexually abused as a child, but that doesn't really define you, that as a child you were searching for for love, and then that spilled over into your adult life, and that caused you to make all kinds of egregiously awful mistakes. So maybe for the, the viewers and listeners, before we launch into deeper theological meditations and stuff let's establish your bona fides as somebody that's actually been through the school of hard knocks. And you can give your life story here at the very beginning, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, I, um, I grew up, I I was born to a single mother, first and foremost, I never knew my father. Um, and so I was raised, with my mom it was just me and my mother and had no siblings which is really weird because you're just kind of alone in the world without a father without parents I mean without siblings um and so I spent so much time by myself in rural Texas I grew up in a small town of maybe 4,000 people that's one of those towns where there's more cows than people and so I was kind of just a weirdo <laughs> because I spent so much time <laughs> by myself. I was bullied in school because I didn't have a dad and it's, it was the 80s in a small rural conservative town. Um, so when I was in the, I guess, first or second grade, I started making up stories that my dad was Kenny Rogers and that's why he was <laughs> Ever home. Um And. You know, I learned how to speak English listening to country music. So, like that also. Well, you have
0: to stop there a second. Now, why of all people would you have picked? Well, I guess because it was the '80s, right? Kenny yeah, Rogers, it was
1: the hey, Kenny Rogers was he, awesome. <laughs> yeah, he
0: was like big in the '80s, right? Okay, yeah, so he, he was a
1: true. he was a major country singer. He was a major actor. Um,
0: well, you gotta I had... know when to hold him and fold him and all that stuff. <laughs>
1: And just recently I watched uh one of his old movies, Wild Horses.
0: I saw that movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that movie impacted me way more than I remember. Like re watching it as an adult, I was like, oh wow, that's probably why I like horses. There was a horse that used to graze in the three acres behind my house growing up. And um I just got the idea. I, I begged my mother to buy a watermelon one day at the grocery store. She thought it was I wanted to eat it, and I started feeding it to this horse. And then before you knew it, I jumped on her back and was riding her around. And her owner came over to see if she was in our pasture. And uh, my mom said, "Yeah, she's back there." And I think uh, Letty—that's what my mom calls me—is you know petting her. So they go back there and the and the field to look for me and i'm riding this horse and the owner was like oh my god yeah i there she is not a rideable horse she bucks everybody off and i'm just like laying on her back reading a book um and after i was watching that movie with kenny rogers i was like that's we didn't have youtube we didn't have google to so like how no, do you break right. a horse i just watched a kenny rogers right. movie and jumped on a horse you know and i was six years old <laughs> So
0: very good. So that's why you chose Kenny Rogers. So you began (laughs) telling tall fibs at school in order to build yourself up.
1: Yes. Yeah. Protect myself and uh, and also build myself up and make myself feel better. And then um, I began going to the Baptist Church just to help me with my English because I didn't speak English at all. I only spoke Spanish. And at this point, the school had started talking to my mother about the fact that I really needed I understood English. But I was refusing to speak it. And so um, my mom had a daycare, and one of the moms of the kids that she took care of said, I'll take her to the vacation Bible school and she can practice speaking English over the summer. And so that's what I did. And I just fell in love with the entire, uh, the, to me, the Baptist church was um, a tiny nook in my world where everything was great. You know, the people were nice, there were snacks. My mom, my mom was like (laughs) raised as a poor Hispanic who started working in the fields when she was four. My mother doesn't believe in snacks, you know? So, so the Baptist church had snacks. They showed up three times a week. Everyone was so nice. There was moms, there was dads, there was sisters and brothers. Um, So there was community. Yeah, there was a community that I didn't have anywhere else, you know? And so um, I took my, I would ride my bike. From the time I was eight until I was 13, I rode my bike every Sunday, every Wednesday um, to church. And, you know, the thing about Protestants, I love, I love the Baptist church and I owe them so much for teaching me about Jesus and teaching me that I'm loved and that Jesus died for me. But the prosperity gospel is real <laughs> And when you're a poor little girl with no dad and your mom doesn't go to church with you and you look around at all these families and the sermons are constantly like, if you allow Jesus into your heart, then you'll have a good life and you'll be happy and you'll have everything you want. I mean, that's very difficult for a child to interpret for herself. You know, I mean, it's, I think it's hard for adults to interpret, honestly, but
2: yeah,
0: it was
1: difficult for me. Yeah.
0: So so it was, it was a version of the prosperity gospel where, if Jesus comes into your life, all boo boos are going to go away.
1: Right, exactly. And as I got older, the more I was, uh, as I got older, I was more aware of the things yeah. that were hard about my life. You well, know? you say cool. in your
0: book, too, and this fascinated me to talk, not to interrupt you yeah, in your life ahead. story, but with regard to your Baptist uh, upbringing there, uh, not that your mom brought you up, but you went to the Baptist church, is that you made these like multiple altar calls and and I can resonate with that because even though like you know, I was a you know I was baptized catholic I went through a whole evangelical phase when I was a teenager and I just felt like I couldn't I couldn't, in a sense, commit myself to the Lord Jesus enough times. Yeah. It's like over and over and over and over again, Lord Jesus, oh Lord, I'm so <laughs> I'm so sorry for all that stuff I did yesterday. And now I commit myself to ye. All right. <laughs> over and over. <laughs> over and over. And over. oh Lord, you know in my heart, I'm totally sorry for that again. <laughs>
1: And like, no one had the sense, so it was so funny because, um, so the pastor is named Pastor Wimpy and his wife was the secretary at the junior high. It, it was a small town and no one had ever had the sense to think this child comes here every Sunday, every Wednesday by herself. She answers every altar call. I would stalk my pastor and ask him these difficult theological questions when I was like 10, you know, <laughs> I swear, Jesus, I have asked him into my heart, but he just doesn't seem to want to live there. Like you have a 12 year old asking you these questions. You might want to call her parents, you know, and no one ever did. So it was just me wrestling with all of these questions and carrying my King James Bible to school. And I I collected Chick tracks like crazy. And I mean, (laughs) children just should not read those things. (laughs) No, Not a Chick track. I read them, too.
0: yeah. I read, but them I was too.
1: addicted to that. I mean, there were great stories, right? Like- well, the death
0: cookie. <laughs> the, yeah, I realized <laughs> yes. I read I, as a Catholic, I was eating the death cookie. or I think
1: that's a- <laughs> My favorite one was when they called um, the church, the Catholic church, the whore of Babylon. And oh, I remember yeah. I read it at the same time that John Paul II was in San Antonio, which was 30 minutes from my hometown. so, I mean, it was a big deal. It was all over the news. And I'm reading this chick track about God, Catholicism being the whore of Babylon. First of all, I didn't even know what the word meant, but whatever. I was reading it, and I was like, that's the leader of that church, the Antichrist? And I just remembered seeing his face and thinking, like, that's impossible. You know? <laughs> yeah.
0: um, he don't and... look like no Antichrist to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, he looks like I don't know. Like, I don't know if I believe this. So I think that that was probably... Uh, my first okay. sense that maybe there was something not being told right. to me, but, um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I had a rough life and then I was, I was, um, sexually abused at home for years from the time I was five until I was about nine. Um, my mom was not, and is still not really a warm and fuzzy person. And there's so many reasons for that, but it does impact you as a child especially an only child, so there's no one else to hug you and tell you they're proud of you and, you know, kiss you on the cheek. stuff. So like let's, that.
0: let's stop there a second, because obviously this is a, a critical point in your life. The, the fact that you were sexually abused truly as a child, not not as a post pubescent adolescent, which is bad enough, but as a child, a real child between the ages of five and nine. Uh, you don't have to go into any details, obviously. Uh, but the, I want, I, I want, what trauma did that cause in you? Because you, you talk about it a little bit in your book, and I, and I really think that it's key to an yeah. understanding of, of your, your depth of perception into the psychology of of human suffering and the need for love and so on. So maybe you could elaborate on that just a little bit, the trauma.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, is that while it was happening and even after it stopped happening, I really didn't know what was happening. I had no one to really talk to about it. I, it was just, I don't remember like a lot of victims remember being told not to say anything. I don't remember that. I think it was just so normal in the house. Um, and this man was such a predator that he didn't have to tell me, you know? Um, it just seemed like you eat dinner and then you watch the news and then this happens while you're watching the news and your mom's cleaning the kitchen. So it was just kind of like one of those things. And so, but it was when I got older um, and the youth minister started talking about uh, sex outside of marriage. And we, and then at school, we were having these puberty talks, you know, and so yeah. then things started clicking for me, but not really, because no one gives you the vocabulary. And and I really think that that's something everyone ought to think about when your kids start going to school and hearing about puberty and, you know, uh, safe sex or whatever, whatever you want to talk about. Um, you just never know what had happened. You know, my mom didn't know. She had no idea. And she lived in the same house with this man and me um so anyway so it started giving I started thinking about it and then the youth minister said if you've done any of these things I mean did the whole bubble gum talk you know where it's like if you chew gum and you stick it to the wall um it's gonna stick and then if you take it off and stick it again it's not gonna stick or whatever whatever that stupid analogy is (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, I'm used gum. Like, I'm just used gum. I already did all that, you know? But <laughs> I was abused. It wasn't the same. And so. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, so it really confused me a lot. But what it did teach me was that if I wanted to be cared for and I wanted to be hugged and loved and treated kindly, that sex was the way to do that, you know? Um, yeah. Doing things with boys was the way to do that. So. Um, that's what I did. I was very promiscuous as a teen. I began running away. I was a target for a lot of pedophiles in my town. So uh, when I was 14, I was sneaking out of the house with a 28 year old, um, yeah. who is still in town, still in the town. And everyone knows that he would, you know, do that to junior high aged girls. And no one ever Thought, you know he's just the weirdo he's just the guy that guy you know and that's the way
0: it used to be dealt with oh yeah, yeah. that's just that that's just that pervert N- no yeah. it never cross anybody's mind well he ought to be in jail yeah uh, that kind of thing I mean when I was growing up too in the 60s and 70s it, it was the same I was never sexually abused but you would hear you'd hear rumors of, especially of, of little girls that had been abused by their Uncle, their stepdad, or their biological father, or just a friend of the family. And no, nothing ever happened to these men, it seemed to me. It just seemed like, oh, yeah, that's that pervert down the road. You want to keep your little sister away from him, but nobody did anything. So it sounds like, you know, your small town in Texas was like my town, Lincoln, Nebraska.
1: Yeah. And then, and then the responsibility became on me. Cause once everyone, like once I started sleeping in class and it was like, oh, she's sneaking out of the house and going with so-and-so, then it's like, oh, you're one of those girls. You're one of the fast girls. And it's like, no, he, I'm one of his victims. Like now as an adult, I can see that. Right. But as yeah. a kid, I thought he yeah. loved me. I thought, whatever, you know? Um. So yeah. And then it, it just caused me to be even more bullied in junior high because then all the other girls get to call you names and, oh, I mean, it was just, it was really awful experience. And, um, but the sixth grade year, my sixth grade year, um, a boy came to school and he looked just like Donnie Wahlberg and I fell in love with him and I would chase him around and tell him he was going to marry me. And he said, "No, I'm not. Please leave me alone, weirdo," <laughs> <laughs> and stuff like that. And then eventually, we did end up going out for a little while. It broke up with me. Went out with my best friend. Um, and then we lost touch for seventeen years. And when he was in Iraq, he found me on MySpace. And now he's my husband. And I mean, your husband so
0: Stacy. Yeah. Yeah, my husband. I feel Stacey. like I know <laughs> Stacy too, even though I've never met him because <laughs> you're always telling Stacy stories. But what's very. Uh, very clear that comes out in your book is that what and I and the reason why I think it's important I think it's very common especially in, in not just then but now maybe even more so now is what you were really looking for was love what yes. you what you were looking for was a real relationship with a real person that would care for you and love you and you could do the same for them but that in the categories of your mind that simply involved having sex with people you know yeah. that that's the word and because that was your image of what men wanted and apparently a lot of the men are that is what they wanted
2: right, right exactly
1: it was just confirmed over and over and over to me you know the only person who didn't um treat me that way was Stacy that's why he broke up with me <laughs> Not with my best friend who was you know um whatever but yeah. so so yeah he was the only person that didn't treat me that way and he's boys would just confirm it, boys, men, I mean, everyone. And then I, and then I got pregnant when I was 16 with my oldest son, Anthony. And I just remembered sitting, I remember sitting in the uh, doctor's office waiting for the pregnancy test to come back. And I already knew I was pregnant. I had taken six pregnancy tests by that time I was 16. Uh, I wasn't about to tell my mother and risk my life like that unless I was positive, but still she took me to the doctor, of course. And, um, So I was sitting there and I just thought, like, finally, I won't be alone. So the same the same ache that I was trying to soothe with promiscuity, I also felt was soothed with my first pregnancy, even though I was 16 and had no resources to raise this child. But that's what it always was, was this.
0: um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, this wound that just festered.
0: And uh, and what year was that? That was
1: 1994. 1994.
0: It was okay.
1: 1993 when I got pregnant. 1994 when he was
0: born. All right. So we're going to come back to Anthony. Obviously, that's a huge part here. But let's let's. Uh, okay. So you you you've established you, you you know the trajectory of your early life. Uh, what led you back to the Catholic faith?
1: Uh, <laughs> um. You, know, you were in
0: Rome. There was a sheep yeah. story. I, I raised sheep. <laughs> That's why I have to have you talk about this. Okay. I mean, it involves my two favorite places, Italy and sheep. So there you I go. I
1: love I Yeah. So I, first, I. So Stacy and I lived together and he said, if we ever get married, I'll have to be in the Catholic church because I, I swear. And he, he will deny this. He still denies this story. He says that I'm making it up, but he thought I was not going to take RCIA classes because I thought Catholics were insane. Um, but he doesn't know me and I'm very stubborn. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take, um, RCIA classes, get the rest of my sacraments. I was baptized as a baby. Um, and so when he was in Iraq, he asked, where do you want to go if you could go anywhere in the world? And I was like, Rome, because I want a pair of Roman red shoes. Like, I just wanted to buy a pair of red heels in Rome. <laughs> I had no intention of going to the I bought some shoes Vatican. in Rome, too. <laughs> I plead guilty
0: to that. Near the Spanish Steps, a great pair of
1: That's shoes. exactly Anyway, so yes, I bought mine, too. Um, so as we're living together, I've, er, I'm already starting RCA classes. He is in... Uh, Iraq, no, Afghanistan, sorry. He's in Afghanistan. So he has to plan an R&R. We go to Rome. And when we get there, he asks, what do you want to see? Father Jonathan, who was a priest who walked with me through my conversion, had been talking about sheep. And he said, sheep are dumb. Like They Jesus are stupid. So Jesus calls us sheep. He is not telling us loving things. He's telling us we're stupid.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, right.
1: um, so I so we got to Rome at the time I didn't know there were sheep herds in Texas, but it doesn't count because I wanted you know old sheep and old shepherds, um, and that's old what I world. got. You wanted
0: the whole old world shepherd experience, yes?
1: Yeah. So we're walking down the street. It's called Ampia Antica, I think is how you say it. Um, and it's the sh- it's the road that Saint Peter walked. Peter, yes, Paul, I don't know. Paul, maybe. I don't know. One of them.
0: One of those two two big apostles were on this (laughs) road here. One
1: of those guys. That was Peter, actually. And he's walking down the road and he sees Jesus and Jesus tells him to go back. Um, Oh, yeah. Pro Vedas.
0: Yes. Where are you going? Yes. 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 Where are
1: you going? Exactly. Um, And so I'm thinking about this the whole time we're walking down this cobblestone road and there's these kids on bikes and there's all this stuff happening and over um on the side of the road I start seeing this like white thing and I was like what is that and as it got closer I could see it was a herd of sheep I was like oh my god this is so cool there's a herd of sheep coming down this road and behind them I mean there was probably 50 sheep and behind them was this old shepherd I mean he was old his skin was olive suntan like you know sun burnt, I guess is what you'd yeah. call it. Um, and he just had this little smirk on his face and he wore this satchel. He had a wood staff. And I was just like, this guy just came out of a time warp. You know, <laughs> It was everything I wanted, but the sheep were so happy. They were free. They were playful they weren't scared. They walked right through me and my husband. At one point we're both standing there and there's just sheep all around us. And they had no cares in the world. And I remember just feeling like God was saying, there's nothing I won't give you like nothing. There's nothing. You can ask for a Herd of sheep on a random Roman road and I'll give it to you. Um, that's how much I love you. And And it also was such a great example of why Jesus is our shepherd, because we're dumb. And the way to be happy and the way to be free and the way to be safe is with him. Um, and that's when I converted, really. I was I was like two weeks away. I was two weeks away from getting confirmed, and I barely converted. And
0: that's when you really converted. You know, I think a sheep's brain is the size of a walnut maybe even smaller. (laughs) Uh, We have both sheep and goats. So the biblical motif here plays out on our farm very much. And I never quite understood why goats have taken it on the chin in the biblical imagery as the bad guys, because uh, my wife prefers the sheep. I prefer the goats. The goats know their names like dogs. They have personality. They're rambunctious. They're inquisitive. They're very people oriented and they're smart. They're very smart and inquisitive animals. Uh, Whereas sheep, they're like cookie cutter. I mean, one sheep is exactly the same as another one. They're like a field of daisies that all look alike and they're equally stupid. And they they really do need, in other words, a shepherd. Yeah. Um, some of you may have seen my dog walking. He's a border collie and he he loves to run around the sheep because they need that.
1: Yeah. You
0: know. Uh and so you're right. I mean, that's I, I think that's very a very interesting insight with regard to sheep. And only somebody that's actually encountered real sheep knows that when Jesus calls a sheep and calls himself a shepherd in the new Testament, what we, what he means by that is you people really, really need me.
1: <laughs> yeah. Without yeah. me, you're so, so lost. Yes.
0: Your souls are <laughs> the size of a walnut. <laughs> and, and, need, also,
1: and also, and also it's like it. you get picked off. You get picked off by all, all yeah. kinds of stuff.
0: Everything. Yeah. Yeah. A goat, you know, a coyote walks up to a goat and the goat goes, what you talk about, Willis? You're not coming near me. I'm going to take you down. A sheep just will roll over and, and like, OK, I'm dead.
2: <laughs> <All right>. Okay, <laughs> eat
0: me. Just eat me here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So th- we're easy. So what Jesus is saying is we're e- it's easy for Satan to pluck us out.
1: Yeah, exactly. And not and, and by simple means nothing difficult (laughs) that's right it doesn't
0: require some rube goldberg device
1: i know know, i think it's it's so very simple
0: here's a carrot (laughs) oh exactly
1: (laughs) i think it's hilarious when people are so fascinated with spiritual warfare and i'm like dude it's just not that scary it's not scary and exercise you know like
2: exorcism
1: it's so simple it's like here's this really nice car. You want it? (laughs) Ignore your family and work overtime.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So when Satan says, you want a carrot, you say, uh, no, go away. (laughs) It's, it's, It's kind of that it's kind of that simple, but, uh, but we are sheep. And so we, we, uh, we complicate things. So anyway, you convert, you convert to Catholicism and you marry Stacy and then and then and then what
1: um and then it was supposed to be you know happily ever after we bought a brick home a two-story brick home when my uncle saw it for the first time he had tears in his eyes and he said I'm so proud of you and I just was on cloud nine because I'd never heard those words from anyone and my uncle was like my dad um, and so we, he owned our own pest control business. We lived in a brick home. My kids went to safe suburban schools. We had a lawn, we had trees. It was the American dream.
0: Hey, can I I, I I'm getting a little bit ahead of ourselves a little bit here. Uh, I'm sorry, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. No and I want to come back to your American dream, but with regard to your conversion to Catholicism, I want to, it just suddenly popped into my brain. Okay, we were talking about the sheep and the Roman experience and Stacy wanted you to become a Catholic but you didn't become a Catholic. Did you just to please Stacy or, or did you at that time? But was there a deeper reason than, Oh, I want to please this guy as, <laughs> and, and because you could have found the love of Jesus as a Baptist still the, I mean, the, it's not like Baptists don't talk about Jesus, the shepherd, right?
1: Yeah. I, um, I could have, but he specifically said in the Catholic church, but, on that road, when I saw, and it was so that was my conversion. Uh, the next day, Stacy and I went on to the Holy Stairs, which is the stairs that Jesus walked right. to get to Pilate. And um, Stacy, at the bottom of the stairs, says, "I'm not going up that thing uh, on my knees." <coughs> oh, excuse me. And I was like, "This is the only way to go up there." So you can go up the stairs, but this is the way I'm going. So he goes, and um, halfway up. He looks down and he says, oh, my God, I see it. And I was like, you see what? And he says, I see the blood. I see the blood of Jesus. And I was like, what? And he's like, there's a spot right here. And, you know, they have these glass things. Um,
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And the guy next to him said, yeah, it's right there. Like, you can see it. I was like, okay. Okay. So I just kept going. I followed him behind. I followed behind him when we got up. He had tears streaming down his face and he was like, yeah, we're going to be Catholic. We're going to we're gonna do what we have to do. We're going to get married in the church, blah, blah, blah. And uh, not that, blah, blah, blah,
0: but like. But but that's fascinating to me because it's so easy to poo-poo stories like that, right? And academics yeah. often do like, oh, you don't know whose blood that was. And maybe that was just a piece of red paint from some renovations and all that. But you, it, the fact is, if those stairs really were the stairs that christ climbed there is a chance that that blood really was christ but even beyond that it it it, it nevertheless is it it, it's it's the tactile tangible sacramental nature of Catholicism that that's what leaps out at me from that story you know that and it
1: happens mine and then his yeah um you know, and, and, and the night before, cause we, we shared a hotel room and I already knew better, but because I was already going through RCIA classes, I had already had my first confession. I was like, man, I'm so screwed. I'm going to have to go to confession again. I went to confession to the Vatican the next day and uh, in, in the confessional, I mean, the priest was so funny. He's like, have you killed anyone? No. Have you had an abortion? No. He's like, okay, you're fine. And I was like, what is happening in this city? Like, <laughs> this is wild. But, Love uh, this
0: city. <laughs> love the priests in this city unless i murdered someone or committed adultery or had an abortion i'm good i'm good I'm to good.
1: go. yeah exactly yeah. and so um so as i'm saying my penance um in front of the tomb of john paul ii I, I um told i said to god like you're gonna have to help with him because i'm good and i plan on being catholic like really catholic but you have to do something about that man because i i have no control over him and the next day was when we went to the stairs and that happened. Um, and everything changed from there. Like we, uh, he took a catechism, um, like I had my catechism with me and he took it with him back to Afghanistan to read it. Um, I got confirmed, my kids were baptized and, um, we were planning on getting married as soon as he got home.
0: That's great. Okay. So now we know more. And uh, since Rome is my favorite city in the whole world, and I wish I lived there, and I think most I of my do. readers and viewers know that I would love to be, have the monetary means to retire in Rome. By the way, this ministry of mine is now nonprofit, so if you want to send me a million dollars so I can retire, <laughs> feel free. But anyway, and it is, but anyway, I'm not actually solicit. I never solicit money. Uh so, okay, so now you have the perfect brick house. And to those watching, so why are we spending so much time on her story? Her story is important. That's why I wanted you on the show because your your, your story is not atypical of so, so many other people. Uh, and what interests me about your story so much is that it is God writing straight with crooked lines, which is exactly what he does with everybody. Uh, and it comes out so well in your book. And by the way, before we get to the fact that you've got this perfect now brick house and where we go from there, uh, I do recall reading one review of yours somewhere of of the book saying, and I think this is a criticism that that you dealt with at some point on Facebook as well, because I think you mentioned it, that, oh, Letitia just likes basically to wallow in, look at me, I'm the most screwed up human being who ever lived and isn't that grand. It's a kind of sort of hipster suffering hipster suffering or something like that uh i don't know what they called it and that sort of thing but i i I just think that is such a gross and unfair uh criticism of what you're about here because you're not you're not holding up your life and saying look how cool this was you're holding up your life and saying look how screwed up this was and here's why and here's why but anyway I, i i digress but uh if you you can comment on that and then go on to your perfect brick house
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that I can can see how that is a thing that happens nowadays with social media and blogs and whatever is that people do tend to see themselves as victims or or reject victim and say survivor. And all I want to do is show the picture of you can be an actual person with actually screwed up stuff happening to you. Um, and making bad choices like both things are true at the same time.
0: That's right. Things that this you couldn't isn't control. victim porn, not victim yeah. porn at all. Yeah,
1: exactly. And how, um, I think about Heather King a lot and how Heather King writes, um, as as a person who sees where God was, even if you didn't see him there at the time, but in reflection, you can see where he was there with you. At the time you couldn't see it right that's right you don't see
0: it then you see it later
1: yeah you don't see it then you see it later exactly and it doesn't look like this fairy in the sky either (laughs) you know it looks like a man uh, not a man but it looks like a god who gives you a herd of sheep in the middle of rome (laughs) when really you could have used like the light bill getting paid you know what i mean like god's concerns are so different than our concerns it's it's radical, actually. <laughs>
0: yeah, it, it, it's so true. And <laughs> the thing is, we don't know it until it's retrospect, sometimes long in, in retrospect. But anyway, yeah. okay, so I didn't plan the interview to go like this, but, the, but it's really working out great where we're sort of teasing out the points we want to make as we go through your life, which is really what your book is, which yeah. is why it's great. So now we're at the stage of you you're actually... You're married, you're Catholic, you've got this great, like, suburban life going on, and then go on from there.
1: And my conversion is a great story, and my blog is just getting all this traffic. And I'm protesting Planned Parenthood, and I'm just this great Republican Catholic living in the suburbs, going to PTA (laughs) meetings. And it's like, yeah, I'm just rocking and rolling. You know, I'm a great Catholic, I'm tooting my own horn. Look at me, look what God's done for me. It's so great, so fantastic. And, um, of course, at some point you have to fall off the horse, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and, and that's what happened. Like my marriage started getting rocky. Um, there's still problems. And I just thought like, why is there problems? I'm praying novenas. I pray my rosary. I go to, I had a holy hour that was like on the books, you know? Um, so it's this Catholic. So this is like the Catholic.
0: I was just going to say, it's like the Catholic prosperity gospel. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Where you think you checked all the boxes. You go to daily mass, you have a holy hour, blah, blah, blah. Everything's supposed to be great. Um, and it, it wasn't great. It, it was, and it just got worse and worse. Um, my husband's best friend who worked for us died suddenly that hit everyone really hard. Then my husband lost his dad and then uh, lost his mother. And then his dad, And then my uncle in 2016, my uncle, who's like a father to me, was like a father to Anthony. He died. Yeah.
0: You talk about that. You talk about your uncle a lot in the book. He was key in like your redemption, really, as a child. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah.
1: He was awesome. Like he did. So you lost someone
0: really powerfully important to you as a kind of almost a savior figure in your life.
1: Yes. He was the strongest man. He was my hero. He was the strongest man I ever knew. And I sat next to his bed for seven days before he passed away um, and watched him deteriorate. And they took the life support off of him. They expected him to pass within minutes. And instead, he lived all night long. He woke up in the morning and asked to call his wife. And he told her he loved her. And then he went back into a coma. And wow. he came out of a coma to tell her that he loved her. Um, wow. That's you how know, strong he was.
0: And that sort of thing happens. Talk to anybody who works in hospice and they will yeah. tell you.
1: Yeah. And so. And that um, sort
0: of thing really happens a lot, actually.
1: Yeah. I I held his hand. I told him I loved him. I thanked him for everything he did for me. Um, and it wasn't a peaceful death. It was, very, it was very traumatic to watch him go through that. But I did it because he did a lot for me. And I feel like it was still a gift for me to be next to him. Then 10 months later, his wife, same thing. I sat with her for 14 days before she passed away. Um, And it devastated my son who spent every summer with them from the time he was eight until he was an adult. Um, The whole summer, too. If I wanted to see him during the summer, I had to go down home to see him.
0: You're talking and, You're talking about Anthony now. That, yeah. Uh, that, so that when your uncle passed, it wasn't just traumatic for you, but it was very traumatic for Anthony.
1: Yeah. And Anthony had never really seen anyone at the end of their life. So when he saw before he went on life support, he went to go visit my uncle and my uncle was standing up, talking, joking, drinking coffee. And I tried to prepare Anthony for, yes, that happens. They get <laughs> A sudden burst of energy yeah. and that doesn't mean he's not as sick as i am telling you he is but anthony was young and he didn't know so he left um he didn't stay, so he felt very guilty about that and then when my aunt passed away 10 months later um he felt really awful um about that and a month later to the day of my aunt passing away anthony Died by suicide. So he committed suicide in our home while I was doing homework. I was reading theology of the body, writing a paper. Um actually he was already gone. I was looking for him and I was doing homework, and he was already gone in the garage for hours, and I didn't know. Um
0: You had actually gone to Chick-fil-A.
1: Yeah. I went to go pick up my second oldest, Daniel, from work while I was sitting in the parking lot. Anthony called. He asked, can I use your car? I said, yeah, you, where are you going? And he was like, I want to go up to the parish and talk to Father, which the parish was maybe three miles from our house. I said, yeah, as soon as I get home, uh, you can take my car. And um, and I told him, if Father Dean, who's our pastor, I said, if Father Dean's not there, just ask for Father Francisco. It should be easy because they have the same name. Anthony's first name was Francisco. And um, so me and Dan went to Chick-fil-A. Uh, and when we got home, there was, Anthony was nowhere to be found. And I just assumed he went walking cause it wasn't that far. Yeah. yeah. I assumed he went walking, started doing my homework. I actually looked for him all over the house and I told Daniel, look in your closet. I mean, and Dan's like, why would I look in my closet? And I said, I don't know. Like maybe he did something stupid. And Dan's like, no, he probably just went to walk to the parish and I was like, or went for a walk. And I was like, yeah, probably to the parish. Um, and at 4.32, my husband walked into the garage to turn off the light because the light was on in there and he found Anthony.
2: Yeah.
0: I, I can't even imagine. And that's only been five years, um, five yeah. years ago. Um, and I can still hear the pain in you telling that story. Kind of chokes me up too, as a parent, um, to actually... Go through that and uh, talk a little bit. Talk a little bit about. Then, I mean, uh, we've all known people that we love, like your uncle and so forth, who die and you grieve. What is the difference between grief when someone you know dies a natural way and losing a child to suicide? What, yeah. what kind of what kind of grief does that create? I don't know, and I don't ever want to know.
1: Yeah. Um, um, I don't watch it on my worst enemy, honestly. But um I – with my uncle, I think as a kid growing up, especially as a Hispanic, you know, we go to funeral masses. I mean, we see – we have open casket funerals and it doesn't matter how old you are. You're going to that funeral. It's just a matter of respect. It's a matter of life, you know? So when I was three years old, I went to my grandfather's funeral. Um, and then I went to my grandmother's funeral. So, so losing my uncle at some point in your life, you just realize these people are going to go. Like you see your mom and your aunts and your uncles saying goodbye to their aunts and uncles and their parents. And, um, and so you realize this is the way life goes and eventually I'm going to lose these people that's how I that's how I had the uh, that's how I had the ability to sit with them, because I just I I had been prepared yeah. for this, you know, um, with Anthony, it was such a blind side, because he was my kid, but also because he was it was a suicide. So Anthony comes with a whole bunch of what ifs, what could I have done? A lot of I, I spent months and months putting to people that's why I know where exactly where I was when he died, because I went back and uh, did like this investigation of where was I when he you know, what time was this? What time did that happen? What time did the call come in? Um, <clears throat> yeah, and this yeah. magical thinking that if you could just find the answer, all of this will be reversed, you know, yeah it also came with such a fear for my other kids um a terror actually I lived with for two years at least of where are my kids like where uh, if I didn't hear from one of my other children like where are you what are you doing like are you okay are you alive And, and you know I had said that to them so long like I would text them are you alive and then that day I texted Anthony like where are you are you alive and he wasn't so that was like a trauma and there's just all these little traumas within this big trauma and yeah. your my brain just didn't want my brain just couldn't piece it all together um and then just I just naturally my entire life reacted to hardship and to suffering with anger um as a defense of so many things um and so when I became a chronic runaway, I mean, it was just all rooted in anger. It was just rage that would tell me, like, I would just rage and then leave. Like my mom would be, "I'm gonna call the police." And I'm like, you know, throwing up middle fingers, <laughs> like, do it. <laughs> I mean, it didn't help that I was listening to like Metallica and, uh, you know, but <laughs> Rage Against the Machine. Of course, you know, I—that's I, the um... generation I come from too. So maybe that has something yeah. to do with it, but. But um, yeah, so I was so angry and like people still will say they saw me at mass and they saw me at confession and they saw me at all these places and they don't realize like I was Catholic enough to know where to find the man I was angry at in the sacrament.
0: Okay, you know? so <laughs> this is kind of what I want to zero in on here is, you know, in your whole story here, uh, uh, you know, because what your this is what your book is about is. What does this do to your faith? What does it do to your 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 vision of God? I, I, I know that my mother, father as well, lost. I, I lost a sister, not to suicide, but she died of a congenital heart defect when she was five years old after unsuccessful surgery. And she lingered in great suffering. we all loved her dearly and it was a great trauma because we believed that science was going to save her and, and it didn't. But I do remember that my mother did not go to church for two years. And she was not, she didn't believe in God, but she was just so pissed at him yeah. that that she just couldn't bring herself to pay any homage to him. For a while, God had just become to her like a just great masochist in the sky who had inflicted this enormous, unbearable pain upon her. And her child died a natural death of natural defects. Your son died at his own hand. And I can't even begin to imagine how angry you must have been.
1: I was so angry. I was angry at God. I was angry at Anthony. Um, And that's something that in secular suicide loss circles, I don't think people are free enough to say because people think, oh, you were angry at him. You should have compassion for him. I have compassion for him, but I'm also angry. This is a significant harm. He did to his family you know no matter what his reasoning was i know his reasoning was not to hurt us but isn't that what sin is no one no one yeah. sins and t- i mean well i guess some real jerks really do sin intentionally to hurt people but for the most part most of us yeah. walking yeah. around on the earth don't intend yeah. to hurt anyone we just fail yeah. to love yeah. and um and so that's what this was so i i spent a lot of time explaining to people that yes a suicide was still a sin not because his culpability was damnable. I don't know that. That's God's job, not mine, but because it caused significant harm and that harm still needs reparation, um, which is why I love being Catholic because that's when it's the only time purgatory ever made sense to me, you know? Um,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: And my priest wrote, he said, I wrote my master's thesis on purgatory and it was all just a bunch of BS because now I understand what it actually is because I know Anthony and I know he would do anything to fix this. Um. And now so, yeah. He I would...
0: sees, now that he sees clearly where yeah. he is. Yeah. And now he is in a place where he is making amends and fixing it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And And we could go into the... My like own theory of what hell is, I think that's when you have to fix it and you don't want to still, you know because
0: yeah, yeah, yeah because it involves the unveiling of secrets that you don't want to unveil but
1: exactly. I've always
0: thought purgatory was kind of like in some ways analogous to uh, Hindu reincarnation, you know, where yeah. essentially you you're working off your karmic faults through various reincarnations uh, you know so yeah uh, and as yeah. a
1: mom as a mom i just thought like he's freaking grounded <laughs> like-
0: <laughs> you're know. you grounded you're in you're purgatory gro- <laughs> grounded yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah Yeah. so it made so much sense to me it's like yeah he's grounded exactly that made yeah yeah exactly so you're, um, an- you're
0: you're angry at anthony but there must have also i mean he didn't leave a note right he didn't right. leave any so you obviously were because you write in your book as well about how when you were a young mother, you felt like you neglected your children because yeah. you were doing double shifts, waiting tables, bartending, this sorts of thing. That was your greatest regret as a parent was that you didn't real. And then when you became a Catholic, you were like running off to the crisis pregnancy center. To, There's somebody in a crisis. So get kids, get dinner yourself, kids. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> did, did that create any any i am trying to avoid the word guilt because it was guilt it was so
1: bad and it was so awful and yes all of those memories i mean the first night so anthony died on wednesday we found him at 4 32 by the time everything was done it was probably like 11 by the time um all my kids finally got to bed and everything and i stayed up all i stayed up for two solid days i did not sleep for two days And that's all I did for those two days was think about every mistake I made as a mother, Um, vividly. Uh, One of the hardest ones was when I had a postpartum depression uh, break, mental break, and I left my children with their father and I walked off, and got on a bus and went to a hotel for two days. And Anthony was in the car yelling for me. And I mean, that's why I couldn't sleep because it was like, um, it was like I abandons him and every time i was about to fall asleep all i could hear was him screaming for me um yeah so the guilt was tremendous it was awful it it was the worst thing ever i mean i condemned myself first before anything else but you know a lot of people think like as a catholic you probably thought you're you know you probably thought he was in hell or that's what you were concerned my concern wasn't for him i i i felt like god knows he's fine he's a great kid. He's a great person. My concern was for myself. Like I was condemning myself. I was too busy doing that. Um, Yeah. And you wonder,
0: you're not so concerned with your, you are concerned with your child's spiritual state, obviously, but you have great faith in God's mercy and infinite love. Yeah. you, you, You have a great line in your book. Oh gosh, where is it? That it's something about Oh, it's something about that you have to love a God that you have entrusted your child's soul to.
1: Yeah, that's the thing, is that in the end of all my anger, because that was another thing, like things break here all the time. Things break in my house. Things broke in my, I mean, all the time. My car breaks down. The washer starts spewing water everywhere. The dishwasher freaks. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like this one time, like the this one Piece of the house couldn't break, <laughs> you know, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Um, under his weight or whatever. Like, this, yeah, like the rope couldn't just ha- have
0: snapped or something. Yeah, yeah yeah, like there ha- or whatever. yeah, yeah.
1: There happened to be a belt on the washer. Yeah, there happened to be a stool in the garage. There happened to be no yeah. one home. Like all these things that worked out perfectly for this horrible thing to happen and nothing really worked out perfectly. Like even right now, I have to go get my charger. for well, this <laughs> is
0: yeah, this is the problem of evil, right? You know, somebody yeah. dies in a car accident is a wonderful person. Why couldn't Hitler have died in a car accident? Right. You mean God? You can't arrange to have had Hitler die in a motorcycle crash when he was eighteen or something? Come on. Or shot yeah. in World War One. I. I mean, he's in World War One, bullet yeah. in the head. Or All right. Any- Come on, Lord. Any-
1: like or choke on a steak like any amount of just like random (laughs) yeah yeah. normal people fall
0: into a sewer and drown or something (laughs) or other yeah something hideous all right um and we're making light of a a serious serious well well, go ahead
1: hang on one second let me go get my charger and my computer oh yeah
0: absolutely we will and i'm uh, go ahead because i'm going to. yeah no no problem i'll keep talking here <laughs> uh uh because the the problem of evil isn't is, is so somebody was asking me what is it you drink on when you you're drinking on these videos? Well, I'm yeah, what is it? Can, it's Jim Beam Black Extra Aged. There we go. Nice that's my, that's my drink of choice uh this evening. And I highly recommend it. It's a little more expensive than regular Jim Beam. Uh, But it is, uh, I I think, worth the price. But anyway, I I loved that line in your book about, you know, that uh, you have to trust and love a God that you've just entrusted your child's soul to.
1: Exactly. And that's really how I came back was, um, yeah. You know, I think that's what brought
0: my mother back too was eventually just realizing my child is with this God. Yeah. (laughs) And so. I know that this God loves my child more than I, even I did. And I know how much I love my child. So I know my child is somewhere good.
1: Yeah, exactly. And just, I mean, in all of my life, I never left with my children with anyone I didn't trust because of what happened to me as a child. So, you know, I had no choice, but to understand that this is where Anthony is and I have to get to know him. Right.
0: But but <laughs> There, I have to admit, I started to cry when I was reading this part of your book, um, and 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 one of the reasons why I'm dwelling on this is th- there might be people watching this. I, you know, thousands of people watch these videos. There might be somebody watching this who's a parent who's, who's lost a child to suicide, and you you describe in your book a scene where uh, after Anthony commits suicide, you went to clean a plate that had leftover meatloaf on it yeah that anthony had not finished eating how i don't know if i would have ever i think i would have varnished that loaf and and encased it in you know to just i know it was just such a poignant tangible scene to me of washing a plate that had my deceased child's food on it would yeah, have been it, really hard to do
1: and and that, again, that's where my anger comes in. I was so angry. He he was still in the garage too. Like I was talking to a police officer as I was cleaning um, that off. And, and I just, I remembered looking at that officer and just saying, isn't this just so stupid? Like, it's just so stupid. And, um and yeah, I, I still can't, I have not made meatloaf since <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I, I don't even, <laughs> yeah. I haven't made it. Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: I wouldn't either. So, if you, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, and if you feel uncomfortable doing this, uh, feel feel free to say no. But in the off chance there are parents who have lost children to suicide out there who are or are grieving right now, what what would you what would you say to them right now?
1: Um, honestly, the thing that I always say is, you have every right to feel whatever you feel, anger. Good point um disappointments i mean everything because you think you think it's hard when you give birth to a kid and you're like this kid's gonna be a doctor and then they don't become a doctor it's really hard whenever they take their own life and you're like never saw that coming like no one sees that coming so you have every right to feel what you feel and my greatest suggestion always is to tell god that he already knows um he already knows how we feel. He already knows. Every, he knows everything. So just go to him and tell him he could take it, whatever it is. You know, um, I, I didn't take communion for nine months, I think after Anthony's suicide and I would walk up and I would say, you're a
2: jerk and I would walk up
1: <laughs> in my head, obviously, because I didn't want to yeah. freak out anyone. Um, yeah. but like, I, I didn't take communion, but I sure would walk up to him and tell him you're, a <laughs> um, so I, I think, you know, people have the right idea and compassion for our loved ones who take their own lives. We can have compassion and still be angry. We can we, and as parents, we get to be all of those things. And I, <laughs> I think honesty is what has led me to where I am right now if I had been dishonest with myself, with others, I think I would have probably followed in Anthony's footsteps, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Cause I
2: honestly
1: yeah. really and truly believe that that's what contributed to Anthony's suicide more than anything else was the fact that he did not feel like he could be honest about anything, what he was struggling with, what he was going through. Yeah. That's
0: interesting that he couldn't be, To be, uh, he couldn't be honest with whom, with, with anyone else,
1: with himself, with with anyone else, with God, with his fiance, you know, that whole idea of, I just need to push through like, okay, hustle. I got to just push through, you know, got to keep going. I just got to get through this and that. And you kind of just shove all of those feelings down. They, they don't go anywhere. Um, And eventually for me eventually i you can feel suffocated by them you know and then at that point you're so far deep down in this hole it's like where do i even begin to tell people whatever whatever it is that i struggle with this that i have these thoughts that i want to you know kill myself that i've googled that i've you know what i'm saying at some point it's so overwhelming um
0: maybe that's why he wanted to talk to the priest right before he killed himself
1: Yeah, I mean, he and he had called a therapist all morning long, and no one answered. But so yeah, I think he was seeking out someone to talk to, but he didn't know how it's kind of <laughs> back to, it's kind of back to like going to me being a kid, and hearing all these things about um sex and uh, sex outside of marriage and sex being a sin and me not being able to have the sense of what happened to me was abuse. Like I could, I could see the commonality, but I couldn't see it was abuse and I didn't have the vocabulary to say I was abused. I think Anthony at that point didn't really have the vocabulary to say, I am thinking of killing myself today, you know? And so I think that that's what I'm saying. It's like, we have to get to a place where we can be honest, um, about our own story so then someone else can can gain that vocabulary can gain the insight of like oh yeah i feel i i felt that you know um because i think so many times i also think like we think suicidal ideation is a plan in our head of how we're going to end our life and sometimes it is i want to go into a coma and never wake up that is a way of thinking of not existing you know yeah, yeah. um
0: that, that you would consider uh, a sort of sleep, a dreamless sleep is preferable to the pain. Yeah. Uh, the pain that you're feeling.
1: And um, I also yeah. feel like in this culture today, <clears throat> we don't teach our kids coping skills on how to cope through suffering. Oh. Yeah.
0: This Go is, ahead. <laughs> no, but this is what I I think is really, really profoundly important about your story not just about the grief that you went through but from the other end uh from the fact that some i mean suicide is an epidemic right now among young people and and it's a it's a crisis of meaning so it's it's a spiritual crisis but it's also a psychological crisis caused by an infantilizing our culture infantilizes children and it makes it impossible for them to truly develop the interpersonal skills they need to be honest. Like, it, was, it was so interesting to me when you said that Anthony lost the ability to be honest with himself and with others. I don't think young people today know how to truly engage their own feelings in an honest way.
1: Right. And no one's helping them because there's no. this huge need to affirm. And while I, yes. I am wholeheartedly into loving your children, love your kids, love them to death. But so much affirmation doesn't teach them self-reflection. It doesn't teach right. them to examine, is this real? Is this really how I feel or is this how... I feel today, or is it something that I was influenced? And that's the thing. I think about how all these people on social media are called influencers, and how many there are, and how many different social media platforms there are, with all these people influencing. And yeah. it's like, who are they influencing, and why are we all so influencable? Is that? I think I made that word well, up. But well, yeah, I mean,
0: I, I mean, and I, I don't want to drag the culture wars into this because I don't want this to be a culture war discussion. But I just think that phrase. I had a, I have a daughter, and if if my daughter had come to me at age thirteen and says, "Dad, I think I'm a man," the last thing in the world I would have done is, "Well, let's go get some surgery and have your breast cut off."
1: Yeah, and and I, it, and that's my... words,
0: I would have taught her to let's be more honest about what's really going on here.
1: Yeah, let's find out just... what's going on, and right, and now right. you can't, even if you are that parent then there is a whole entire group of people who take your child aside and affirm them. And, and you're not a part of that. And so it's just all this other influence on everyone. And, and it would be so easy to say, say that it's this side or that side, like you're saying, like the culture wars. But to me, it's like, I look at it the whole picture and I see how we're all just so easily influenced by an article or a meme yeah. or yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, that's that's what I love about. I, I see yeah. you write your blog post and you're always saying like this is a long one. And I'm like thank God like <laughs> some, some long thoughts and not uh, you know like- yeah uh,
0: let's talk about that for a second. I haven't. I'm in the middle of another long blog post. I haven't because I write for Catholic old Report. You know the drill because you're a freelance yeah. Catholic writer. You know, it, it takes up all your time. So I'm not writing these long five 6,000 word blog posts like I did when I first started my blog, but I still write them occasionally and I still get emails from people. It's too long. I mean, you know, it takes you 10 minutes to read 5,000 words. 10 minutes is too long. Anyway, so yeah. But it's our
1: attention span. Our attention span yeah. is like likes, shares, follows, likes, shares, follows, and bing, bing, bing and that is not conducive to being a Catholic. I'm so, I'm so sorry. Like everyone's like, what's going on with the church? Like everyone is you cannot be a Catholic and have the attention span of a gnat. You just cannot, you, you cannot, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I agree. And Yeah. All right. So let's, let's segue then. Now it's okay. So we, I could talk to you for like ten hours, Leticia. I love you. <laughs> I feel you. like
1: I can't do. I, <laughs> I absolutely love
0: you, and I and I really want to plug your book again, "Our Lady of Hot Messes," uh, because it's it's just accessible to everybody and yet profound, and that's the best kind of book, accessible but also deeply profound. And I think it is deeply profound, and it has a message I think a lot of people need to hear. But let's move on from your personal story. And let's talk about the church, because before when we were on, before we went on the air, I said, let's talk about what's what the well I use stronger language? But I said, what the hell's wrong with the church today? OK, so um, and it's not unrelated to your personal story. I think it's actually very related to your personal story, which is why I think your personal story is interesting, which is, I think, to get you started, I'm going to start, which is I, I think we have so much in the church today that is simply ideology. Uh, left-wing ideology right-wing ideology uh that then makes use of theological arguments not for their own sake but for the sake of propping up a particular ideology which at the end of the day is actually simply an offshoot of some kind of secular politics maga yeah. trump politics or left-wing lgbtq politics one or the other uh, but what it seems to me is is lacking and i've and I blogged about this is christ that yes. i mean the church is supposed to be the face of christ to bring christ to the world and it seems to me that this is its greatest i mean i'm not talking about the sacraments here i'm talking about the the image that she presents and it doesn't present an image of christ it seems to me
1: at all and i mean i was thinking about this the other day when i was watching and it, it for me it always goes to our bishops god bless them but <laughs>
2: Are you a
0: you're a well you're a Texan not a Southerner? Uh, yeah. I once saw stand up comic say that Southerners cover up any insult they might make by saying, "Oh, God bless her heart."
1: I think. I think oh, she's Catholics so fat. Do.
0: God bless her heart.
1: I think Catholics do the same. God bless them, because I really need God to bless them. <laughs>
0: like yeah, right, A wake yeah. up call. Of okay, some kind. so the those damn bishops. God bless their hearts. <laughs>
1: I, I was watching um, some coverage, not all, but some coverage from their meeting recently. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, do they not know the suffering in the world right now, post COVID in this country, the fear? I mean, do they not? I, it's not that I need bishops on TikTok. Please don't get on TikTok and make TikToks. But just like watch <laughs> the sheep, they're cr- the sheep are crazy. Yeah, you know? that's, once like, again
0: walnut brain. That's yeah. we, walnut soul. We need sh- we need shepherds.
1: And they're sitting around these banquet tables in this nice dining room of some sort. I'm guessing a hotel or whatever. And
0: oh, they're all in big city five star hotels because that's yeah what they and, need apparently.
1: And they're talking about. Maybe, I mean, maybe theologically important stuff, but like on the ground stuff, like you have people buying buses to bus women to states that they can get abortions. And no, and, and while I am 100% mm-hmm. anti-abortion, I, it doesn't solve anything. It's, it's not a solution, but why are there busloads of women willing to do that? You know, it's yeah, not as easy yeah. as, oh, because they don't understand responsibility. You know, that, that's a, that's a cop out for us not having to do the work, the work that Christ gives us. And it's so easy. God, It's like Jesus made it easy. You set it out. Clothe the naked, feed the hungry, give thirsty to the, you know, give water, drink to the thirsty, visit the sure. um yeah, prisoner. exactly. I mean, he lists it. He actually lists it. <laughs> and yeah, we're like, what should exactly. we do? What could we do? What could the church do? Do to get people to come to mass? He gave us the (laughs) list. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Let's 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 have a synod on trying to figure out why people don't go to mass anymore. Well, Uh... there's as the comic says, there's your sign. Okay. (laughs) If you need a synod to figure out why people don't like synods, there's your sign. okay
1: and I, I, I i'm not and you know of course it's like everything else there's some bishops that are better than others i i love bishop flores i think he's amazing but it's like my thing is is that a flores from oh uh, flores. Yeah. Okay.
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah i love him i call him batman but
0: as opposed to there's another bishop in texas who i don't like
1: uh, strickland
0: um, strickland oh st- uh,
1: uh, tyler, tyler texas but it's yeah, like yeah. i just but even that, OK, so let's even that it's like politics where it's like you have the Biden lovers who are in these liberal cities like Austin, Texas, and then you have the MAGA people who were like in rural Texas. And so it's like this black, uh, this like, con- uh, you know, constant. Tension between these two groups, and even when it comes to our bishops, like it does not shock me that the bishop in Tyler, Texas, is saying the things he's saying on Twitter, it's Tyler, Texas, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) you know. Um, and it just like the contrast between
0: Dallas and Fort Worth, right? Dallas is all like Manhattan wannabe, and Fort Worth is all Billy Bob honky tonk, and
1: (laughs) yeah, and it's like that's Texas. I just don't feel like our bishops should. It, you shouldn't be like oh yeah that bishop's in you know the rio grande valley so he's kind to immigrants, and that bishop's in east texas so he you know panders to racists. like i just don't think it should be that predictable yeah. um
0: yeah yeah
1: it's not a pr move Beca- it is so much better so much yeah. deeper yeah
0: the thing is to me the second vatican council Everybody writes about the second Vatican council, but, <laughs> I th- but, but, you know, they're all wrong. I'm right. Uh, but the, the, the thing is, I'm, you know, I'm, this isn't just my opinion. The council was a theological council written for basically other theologians and it was a Christological council. And what it was saying essentially was we need to reinterrogate the entirety of the church's tradition and the current church through the lens of a Christological reduction. And then that, that, that's my view as well. And I, I keep coming back to this over and over and over again. I am a like you, Letitia. I'm a fully Orthodox Catholic. I buy into all of the doctrines and traditions of the church. But I also think that all of those things need to be placed in an entirely new light and an entirely yeah. new context.
1: Yeah. Uh, and it starts... I often
0: say, you know, burn it down. I do, too. Burn it I down. I do,
1: too. The way it is right now is not the face of Christ, and and I know this because I have belonged to a Catholic space that was the face of Christ. I've seen it. I've seen it in my, my. so so when I be so when I converted and I had the priest that I had um, supporting me through that conversion, um, I was heartbroken. <laughs> To learn that that is not normal, (laughs) that my conversion story is not how everyone else converts, you know. Um, my RCIA director is probably the best evangelist in modern history. Um, and and no one knows his name. His name's no—I mean, people know him, Noe Rocha. Well, what is his
0: name? Let's make him know. What's his name?
1: Noe Rocha, and he um. He, he has been evangelizing, so he told his testimony for the first time the day I was born, March 15th, 1977. Um, he was a heroin addict. He went to a priest to ask for money to get a score, and the priest told him, come back. We're having this class. It's called Jesus is Lord. And, um, no, he came back, he had his conversion over months and over years. And the first time he got up and told his testimony to a group of people, of what Jesus had done for him was the day I was born. Um, yeah. And then 33 years later, I walked into the parish hall where he was giving an RCIA, RCIA class. And he said, God loves you more than you think he does, no matter what you've done or how far you've gone, he's waiting for you. And that changed everything. That's when my conversion began.
0: It's too bad Anthony couldn't have spoken to him.
1: And, and you know, the, one of the things that Anthony wrote in his, he didn't leave a note, but he had a notebook that I had given him that day to write down goals. Like, this is this is what we're planning. This is what we're going to do, like, yeah, to write down yeah. goals. Um, the One of the things he put in there was, God loves me. I know this. No, he taught me.
0: Oh, so, he okay. So he did talk to him. That's right. I remember that now. Yeah. It's in the book. Um, yeah, and it's it, what that brings up too is is how important priests are in the Catholic Church. Yes. We're talking about the need for a declericalized church, and we do need a declericalized church, but we need a declericalized church in order precisely to re-emphasize why the priesthood is so important in its own right, uh for the right reasons. Um, yeah, uh, we need more lay involvement in the church, obviously, but the ch- the Catholic Church is a church oriented around sacraments, and the main one being Eucharist in particular, and, and you need a priest for that. And, and for better or for worse, priests are the primary evangelizers in the church. So, um, we, yeah, we, we got, we... have
1: to get them out of politics. Like that. I, yeah. I remember hearing a story about John Paul II and a priest in South America somewhere that, um, did something mm-hmm. in politics and Pope John Paul II got off a plane and was like, this is a note.
0: It was in Nicaragua. And uh, the priest, I can't think of his name anymore. He wore wore like a Che Guevara beret and stuff. And he had in in Nicaragua, the Sandinistas had taken over the communists. Yeah. John Paul visited Nicaragua and he got off the plane. I know I was a young man. I was a seminarian when this happens. And John Paul gets off the plane and this priest kneels, actually kneels in front of John Paul and, and attempts to kiss his ring. And John Paul pushes him away and and shakes his fingers. You can you don't know what he said, but you can tell he's lecturing him and he's shaking his hands at him like this. Yeah. And uh, it sort of later came out that what he was saying was, you have to regularize your relationship with the church, Father. By I and mean, this was a guy who was basically you know part of a communist government. Yeah. Yeah. You know and 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 you can't do that as a priest any more than i would say a priest should be the secretary of state of the united states
1: <laughs>
0: that would be very bad too
1: yeah and there's good reason for that and and i yeah. i just i i do want to emphasize and i and in such a time when people see so many negative stories about priests that's the reason why i put all the stories about my priest in the, my book too is because I I understand as a victim of uh, childhood sex abuse, I understand the gravity of what happened. Um, I understand the trauma. I understand the scapegoating. I get it. I do. But there are good priests and that's what we need. We need more good priests. Like my priests are amazing. and And I've had disagreements with them. And okay. that's another thing they've given me. I don't think that I could be as honest with God if I couldn't have been as honest with my priest. Um,
0: yeah, yeah I, I could, I, yeah well, well, what that honesty also constitutes is um is 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 an insight into a, I think a real problem in our moral theology. Uh, and when I say you know we need to present the face of Christ better as as a church. Uh, Get me wrong, I I am no liberal progressive when it comes to moral theology. I accept all of the church's moral teachings in a very simple, straightforward way, even all the sexual bits. Nevertheless, I do think that our moral theology needs a real revision with regard to how it gets applied pastorally to people. And I think to a certain extent, this is what Pope Francis is trying to do. Uh, I don't always agree with the manner in which he does it, but I think this is what he's trying to do it, because, you know, it's, it, it's not a one size fits all cookie cutter pastoral approach here. And I'm not arguing for laxity at all, not at all. yeah, uh, And nor are you, but for I don't know what exactly it is. I'm I'm arguing
1: realness. There's just a realness. Like my priest, he knew, uh, he heard my first confession. He knew my past and what he said after my first confession, what my priest said was not, he he gave me absolution. And then after that, he said, have you ever been to therapy? And I laughed because I was like, that's what you're going to tell me. And, And he was like, I'm, he said, I am personally say- – actually, he said this before Absolution because he couldn't talk to me afterwards, which he explained. Um, he said, I'm just saying that mm-hmm. maybe yeah. you're not as culpable for all of those things. And that's when he explained culpability um, to me. Right. And, right. And, and so he saw the trauma. He didn't just see the sins. He saw the trauma, and, and he saw the need to heal that also it wasn't just absolution leave my office you're fine you know he saw yeah. a need for something <clears throat> deeper and i think a lot of times we don't see the need for something deeper we we say like oh well that's a sin and and that's black and white and yes it is yeah. like you're like you said like i i do agree with everything the church teaches i i know that's why i became catholic the church's yeah. teachings created safety for me i am one of those sheep that's running around safe and happy and joyful after so much crap happened to me you know
2: yeah
1: it is the church's teachings that give me peace and love and safety and i want everyone to know that but i understand why people scoff at it when they see the way it's presented
0: (laughs) yeah there are barriers there that have to be overcome I mean, John Paul II calls this the law of gradualism, which is you take someone by the hand and softly, 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 you lead them along. You don't just walk into the living room, throw 10 catechisms at them and say, "Okay, you've got the truth now. You're on your own. Well, And the thing is this, the church is in a bind and and I'll I'll grant this it's in a bind right now, pastorally speaking. Because when the culture becomes completely post-Christian and completely secular and completely nihilistic and completely screwed up, um, a, 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 one in the same time, the church has to realize that the vast majority of sinners that come to her, including you know Catholics themselves, um, are not really all that culpable for what they're doing because the culture has made them this way. And it so you have- the-
1: shouldn't the bishops be terrified of this because they're the ones that are going to face the wrath and judgment
0: exactly okay so they know this they know that their people live in a septic tank and then act like they're shocked when the people show up and they got shit all over them okay and 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 so no 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 no. we have to recognize this but on the other hand the bind is is that you recognize the need for the law of gradualists but you can't give into laxity because as soon as you give in to laxity you're simply tossing those people to that culture you're simply saying okay stay in the septic tank it's not really a septic tank we're going to bless and baptize the septic tank it's who you are it's your identity live there be there enjoy it and and you can't do be that happy. Either. <laughs> yeah so i said earlier that's one of the issues i have with pope francis is i think this is the tightrope he's trying to walk but I don't think he's always sort of negotiated that properly. And I'll, and I'll just, and I'll just leave it at that, but that's the bind that we are in today. Pastorally speaking, it seems to me. Yes. Uh, yes. Go ahead.
1: And, and as someone who came out of that septic tank and is now fully in love with and committed to the church is a do- I, There's nothing that I am prouder to be than a daughter of the church. Nothing, Yes. not yes. a, not a mother, not a wife, nothing. Um, and yet I get so much pushback because I don't say yes. things correctly. I don't tell the story with a bow that everything's great. I, I don't. That's right. I don't stop talking about racism. I don't stop talking about how abortion is not a solution, you know? So everywhere I go, in the churches left to right i'm not in enough and it's like no i'm not i'm in the church the church clearly states and i love john paul ii's audiences of theology of the body i really wish we could call it something else because it's so much more than that right but well, it's
0: been yeah because it's been misused by people like christopher west
1: right 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 but i don't think it's a I think sometimes too, people want to bookend it. Like this is, this is the beginning. This is the, it starts with love and responsibility and it ends with the last audience. And I, I don't even think John Paul II felt it that way. I, I feel like there's so much that you can um, dig out, uh, tease out. There's so much in there.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, yeah. beautiful stuff, stuff that this culture would eat up if the church would just, freaking do it you know <laughs> well, the guy
0: who's really good on this is, is uh michael baldstein uh michael Waldstein i don't know where he teaches now uh he, he's moved around but he's done a great series of books on john paul's theology of the body really that it to, yeah that that brings it to life exactly as you describe it The it's been reduced to a series of catholic ted talks a, a series i of know chast- chastity, puberty
2: which helped
1: i'm not gonna lie it did help me a lot when i was converting but then as i started going to school and i read read the audiences that's when i realized how much deeper how much more beautiful how much more of the story of humanity who we are how we're made like you want an identity read that like this is an identity (laughs)
0: You know, to be honest, yeah, I had students that often got mad at me because I was critical of Christopher West and the whole chastity talk thing, because as a theologian, I understood what the theology of the body really was. And so I saw that as a kind of, wait a minute, no, 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 but I do acknowledge that those talks did have an impact on a certain generation of young people. And so I I have to, I I do have to acknowledge that, but I do think though, that that it's limited. It's like prayer and praise music. (laughs) all right prayer and praise music has its place it brings but uh, i mean dear god in heaven i know so many students that were into prayer and praise music (laughs) that are now off in la la land you know yeah i mean not very catholic anymore at all as soon as life really hit them then they realize that the angelism that's involved in both the theology of the body oh wait a minute sex really isn't an image of the trinity it's a lot of you know, it's a lot of animalistic groping and grabbing and, you know. Yeah, I, you and know.
1: that's, and that's my thing is like, but what people failed to see too is like, what was it about Christopher West that was successful? Because it, what, like you're saying, it wasn't the theology because there was none. It's like, all I see oh. no substance, you know? And, but what was successful was his frankness and his honesty. And it's like, yeah. you can do that and not, let go of the substance and I think that's the tightrope Pope Francis is trying to walk but like you say I I think I personally I feel as if Pope Francis, i kind of feel like this this is gonna sound really crazy but i feel the same way about pope francis as i did when obama was elected like they had so many great ideas and so many great intentions but then like actually doing it once you're in the job is a whole other different yeah
0: oh yeah i mean i was in london when obama was elected president i was visiting my daughter who was in school there and uh it was like the Messiah had been elected according to the people in London and the Americans I met there were on cloud nine. Oh my God, the Messiah has come to And Washington. I think it makes
1: their job even harder, right? Because then they, they start off with this huge, you know, expectation that's unrealistic and never going to happen.
0: But then, and yeah, then, exactly. Because as yeah. soon as I saw that, that when Obama put together his economics uh, team, it was a bunch of Goldman Sachs executives. And it's, it's and the I, problem. with Oh, my God. It's going to be business as usual. And that's my thing. It's like there's
1: the common sense of – and this uh, happened with Trump too where it's like – why? I mean, I remember going home to my small town and sitting in a taqueria and hearing everyone <laughs> talk about how great Trump was. And I just was like, the man is from New York City. He's a real estate billionaire. He's never driven, owned, or even probably been in – a four-wheel pickup truck like i what is wrong with you yeah. people I, it was like aliens yeah. took over everyone i knew because <laughs> the people i knew pod, would never... they were pod
0: people remember yeah. the, the, the old 1950s movie the invasion of the pod yeah. people
1: yeah they and looked like happens,
0: themselves but they were aliens
1: yes and that happens to catholics in that they like gave up uh, you know i, I, I have love, to admit
0: i mean I, I I'm a Dorothy Day Catholic, as you know. A Catholic yeah. Work. yeah. And, and so uh, I don't vote. I I I don't. Vote. Neither.
1: I'm not. And I... uh,
0: and it's not because I'm uh, apolitical. I'm just political in a different way, and I think voting doesn't matter. I really don't think it does. Uh, and so, but I have to admit, I had a certain guilty pleasure when Trump beat Clinton, simply because Clinton represented the establishment and Trump Trump. Kind of, kind of, sort of, in at least in a political sense, represented the anti-establishment. Even though Trump is a swamp creature through and through, uh, in, in a lot of other ways, I hated Trump, and I still hate Trump. But, but I think I hated Hillary even more. And it's not because she's a woman; it's just because she's actually not a woman. I don't know what she is. She's like a drone, she's different some sort of
1: swamp creature. Robot. They're just two different swamp creatures, and it's like yeah, exactly.
0: And,
1: and I just, and I, that's my thing. It's like i love catholicism because it's so deeply intelligent and i don't mean that you have to have a bachelor's degree in philosophy i just i got one because i i love i I couldn't stop reading footnotes but i also didn't know (laughs) what the heck they were talking about so i was like i'm gonna go to school and figure this out right but um but so much of that deep intelligence that deep knowledge was lost in the last 60 years i just feel like it just was like yeah, yeah. what hap what happens you know well,
0: not just in our politics leticia but i think also in our church yeah that uh, what that were that we witnessed over the past i don't know not just 10 years 50 years or whatever is a real dumbing down of the internal culture of the church that we just we 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 can't have conversation anymore. And I really think that you just said it, the, the intelligence of the Catholic Church and her tradition. I, I think there's an anti-intellectualist strain that runs yeah. through American culture. And, and I, I really think that things like philosophy and theology are extremely important to get right in the Catholic church, but it's the very thing nobody wants to talk about in the church right now.
1: Yeah, I know. And and it's actually the thing that irritates me the most about Catholic mom blogs is that whenever I mention <laughs> yeah. anything to do with philosophy, it's this trend or fad or whatever, or a common thing to say like, Oh, I can't read that philosopher. It makes my eyes glaze over. And I'm just like, you have you can't you can't not read Augustine and be Catholic like in my opinion like you can disagree with him you can ha- but you can't yeah. like just not read him not know what he said like you can't just you not gonna, read you the can least say
0: I don't have time to read Augustine well if that's the case then stop writing your blog all right and just say look I don't have time for anything except you know getting my kids to school or whatever but you're yeah, right I
1: just For someone to go out there
0: and say, I'm going to write a blog. I'm going to be a Catholic out there, but I don't really have time to read any of that.
1: Yeah. Total foundational Catholicism. Can't get into it. (laughs) I don't got no time
0: for them, their scriptures (laughs) and the church fathers.
1: (laughs) But I'm going to write a blog that's all about Catholicism and how to be a good Catholic. And I'm just like, you can't be a good Catholic if you don't read the foundational texts.
0: I'm glad you brought up Augustine too. Poor Augustine. He's just taken on the nose because everybody hates him about the sex stuff, but I guess original sin and Pelagianism and all that. But I love Augustine.
1: I love
0: love Augustine.
1: He's so dramatic.
0: Yeah. The confessions, the city of God, it's it's just all great. Uh, We're kind of meandering now, but that's okay. We've been talking for an hour and 40 minutes.
1: Oh, I could talk to you forever, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: if if we were in a bar having some, you know, whiskey <laughs> and beers and stuff. I it would be one of those nights where we my my wife, I wish my uh, wife were here. She's actually going to be here in about 2 hours. Uh but I I we could have done a joint uh and we can get Stacy next time we'll do this we'll do Stacy and my wife Carrie and you and I we can sit.
1: Oh, and, that would be great. And,
0: and, and talk, but we probably should wrap this up because, you know, people do have a limited attention span for these things <laughs> uh it is an hour and 40 minutes but i don't necessarily want to have to i mean this is one of the most enjoyable conversations i've had at any of these uh part of it's just because i've always wanted to talk to you and, and yeah you know that uh i've been following you on facebook for such a long time and then I, and then i read your book i was just intrigued by the title title you know I, at first it was like oh our lady of hot messes that, that's a great time for a book and I, and I and I thought well that's better than the infinite Prague which freaks me out so <laughs> as people know watching my videos Barbie Barbie uh, but anyway, that's irreverent. I know lots of people have a devotion to the infinite Prague so I just shut, should shut up. But what to me it sort of symbolizes a certain approach to things but I, I did I did like your book Our Lady of Hot messes I thought it was a great book. Maybe I can have you on again so we could talk about more, more church uh, kind of stuff. But before we before we do go, uh, I do want to and still staying on the theme of of, of church and, and those sorts of things, I do want to ask your opinion about the sexual abuse crisis in the church because you were sexually abused as a child, not by a priest, by yeah. another adult. I have my own views on that, and I've I've expressed those. What what are your thoughts on on the sex abuse crisis? I
1: honestly, I honestly think that it is what is the problem with all abuse and what predators look for is, um, vulnerable people who are in unsafe spaces are easy pickings, you know? And, um, I think, and, and I've, I've said this before, but I, I think that the The thing that's going to light the match that burns the church down is going to be that when our bishops realize that PR statements don't matter. Oh,
0: so true. So true. They've
1: relied on them for so long. They have absolutely no idea how social media works. They have no idea what's happening on the ground. And those PR statements, no one even reads them anymore.
0: I think it, it's the I think it's even worse than the PRC. Have you gone through the, 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 the virtus training and that kind of yes. stuff? Uh, we, we have to do it in my, in my I had I'm an adult server in my parish. We go to an ordinary to uh, Anglican ordinary parish Catholic, and I'm an adult server, but in order to do that, I have to rub shoulders with young, you know, uh, altar boys. And so I had to do the Virtus training. My wife runs the homeschooling cooperative, but I so she had to do the Virtus training. We've done it before. Um, a bigger exercise in simple bureaucratic butt covering I've never seen in my entire
1: Yes. Life. Yeah.
0: It's a yeah. complete irrelevance. It doesn't yeah. address, it doesn't solve anything. And yet it's a pain in the rear that you have these hoops you have to jump through. And it's directed at lay people who were not the problem
1: right and also again it goes back to this whole business of pr and uh optics right no, so now no. that i work in corporate america not just corporate america but government <laughs> office i see no. the same kind of tactic and it's like the church ought to not use these tactics because yes your people um but uh, so there was a kid that was um, at my parish. She was in the bathroom and was approached by a man. And I I can't exactly remember what happened, but the kid went and told his mom, the parish called the cops. They did everything quote unquote right, right? Then that Sunday when they were expressing to the parish that this happened and that they took care of it and they were cooperating with authorities, um, then the priest decided to have a homily where he scapegoated what happened to the devil, and it's like, yes, the devil is evil and out to get us. But you can't just spiritually bypass everything that this kid's now going to live through by saying, oh, it's the devil. And the devil wants to tear down the church. And that's the reason why he's tempted these people and these priests to yeah. do all this stuff. It's like, well, theologically, I understand where you're going with that. As a lay person sitting in the pew, that just sounds like.
0: Yeah, it sounds like crap. Crack up pants. Yeah, it's it sounds kind of like fancy. crap, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. And yeah, um,
2: yeah.
0: and Ooh. and I
1: felt the same way about you know Bishop Barron's letter to the suffering. I mean, I I saw I saw better response in that than I have in anything else. But I still saw that kind of thing where it's like we know we know it's sin, we know it's sin, we know it's, we know it's the devil, we know it's evil. Like we all know, but like what are we doing? We get doing? that,
0: we get yeah. That, you know, what are I'm we a doing? Huge, Bishop Barron's a close friend. Of, I'm not a close friend. He's a friend of mine. I love what he does. but And that letter was good, but I agree with you. It was like boilerplate. It was just kind of yeah. It was better
1: it was, than anything else I read. It was better
0: than most, but it was boilerplate. And that's that's the problem with the whole church's response. It's a boilerplate response created by a bureaucracy beholden to insurance companies and lawyers.
1: Yes, And that's and all of that. That's the reason why God is going to allow whatever's about to happen to happen. Because, and I'm not saying that as like a prophetic thing. I'm just saying that as a logical thing. Like looking at it, looking at the landscape, looking at what's happening. It's it's just it's only a matter of time. I mean, people are leaving. I talk to people all the time who are like, "I love the church, but I can't stay."
0: Who can stay in this thing anymore? Because of this, because yeah. I mean, I stay. Well, where the hell am I going to go? You know, like the Quovetis yeah. story earlier. Where are you going, Lord? Well, I'm going back to you know, Rome to to be crucified. I'm just I'm going back to Jerusalem to be crucified again. But anyway, um, Rome to be crucified again. Sorry, and 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 the thing is that we we just have a church that just doesn't seem to get this Christological need. To, to show this crucified Christ in this way. And these, we talked about earlier, we are talking about honesty and the inability to be honest. we have a church that just seems to be completely unable to do this examination of conscience and to be brutally honest with itself and to repent. I mean, 2002 is when the Boston Globe story about gay yeah. hit the fan and the whole sex abuse thing hit the fan. 2002, and then or maybe it was before that. And then maybe it was the Dallas charter that was in 2002, whatever. Uh, and 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 now we get all this talk about oh zero tolerance and virtue's training and there aren't that many cases anymore and then we just read oh there was this jesuit father rupnik whatever his name was you know yes oh like you know he he absolved the people in the confessional that he was having sex with and but the jesuits took away his excommunication for that because he was repentant but they didn't defrock him and then he gives a bunch of Lenten lectures to the Pope and the Curia and so on. He, nobody said boo about the fact that he essentially sexually abused like half the nuns that were under his charge and so forth. And that wasn't just in 1980, Shimmy Shang. This was very, very recently.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's the thing. Like, And why is this the thing that they all, like, I love, Pope Francis. I love Pope John Paul II. I love Pope Benedict, but like Pope Benedict is a great teacher. Like his books, I feel like oh, you yeah. you could just go through his writing and get a theology degree. Like it's it he and it's no so doubt. like boom boom boom, yeah. boom. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's a great teacher, great theologian, and yet blind spot on this one. It's why why this one thing? Pope Francis feed the poor and. Smell like your sheep and mess yeah. things up. It's like, and then this, he's like, I don't know.
0: <laughs> Pope John Paul, too. Yep. Be not afraid. Launch into the deep water. <laughs> and then he, Macy L. and McCarrick. And
1: <clears throat> why is yeah. just the one thing? Like, I just don't understand. And I also, I mean, but again, I, every time I see one of these stories, you can clearly, you can clearly see where the PR stuff started, you know, the Steubenville story where it's like, oh, you can see where people just care about the, the, the optics. And it's like, at some point we have to stop caring about the optics and we have to care about the people right? The people and not just the people who come to the pews and put money in the basket, like the people. I I had this conversation with a pastor recently where he he was talking about why people weren't coming back to church after COVID. And I was like, but why do you care if they come into your church and sit in your pews? You are a pastor to everyone in your community, even the ones who don't come sit in your pews. Why don't you go out and pastor people and see what happens. Yeah. Radical yeah. idea, sir. <laughs> I kind of know of someone who did this once when he went to the people.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. And that doesn't mean he's got to be walking around the shopping mall saying, "Hey, have you heard about Jesus?" Right? right. It's
1: well, like have lunch, have dinner, ask people how they're doing, volunteer at the shelter, volunteer, you know what I mean? Just Yeah,
0: yeah. Make your rounds at places that matter like that. And uh and there are priests that do that and it's I have a good priest friend, an old seminary buddy of mine, because I was in the seminary. Father Mike Kerper, he's a priest in Nashua, New Hampshire. He's about 70 years old now. But he just opened a, uh, like a homeless shelter. Nice. Attached to his parish. And he's inspired by, it's called, you know, the Dorothy Day Shelter or something like that. And then they have a coffee shop in the shelter. It's called the, the Day Cafe in Dorothy Day. And it's become enormously successful. mean, I got all these homeless people or just the working poor that show up there for the free coffee and the donuts and so forth. And most of them are not Catholic. Most of them, you know, are not in those pews on Sunday. And yet there's my friend, father, father, Mike Kerper, you know, over there every day at the day cafe, um, you know, ministering to those, to those people. And that, and that's, that's the face of Christ. That's the church I love.
1: And maybe that's the key, is what you're saying. Maybe we all, priests and laity alike, have forgotten what it looks like to minister to others.
0: That's it. Okay. So he may not get 5% of those people to end up in his pews, but the witness he is giving yes. in so doing and doing all of that engenders, bolsters the faith of those who are in the pews to then want to do great things. We don't, we don't, and this is my, you know, my hobby horse, the universal cult to holiness. <clears throat> we don't inspire people in the pew yes. to aspire to holiness. I know. We don't, we don't image that ourselves. Those of us who are sort of in the church as leaders, um, you know, I'm not, yeah. an ecclesi- I'm not a clerical leader and so forth, but I'm a theologian all that, you know, I, I'm, and, 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 you know, I, I feel like a, that's one of the reasons why I started a Catholic worker farm. I just felt like a hypocrite.
1: Yeah. Same. And I think, and this is an, a one last thing. We also strip it away from our saints. We make our saints into yeah. these like porcelain dolls. Like <clears throat> I remember reading St. Catherine Sienna and that, you know, she had all these different kinds of people that followed her around and um, they all knew about her and she ministered to all these people, in her community. And then my favorite story was someone brought her a little girl who was possessed by a demon and she was trying to run out the back door. And like, this is what, you know, once you like start evangelizing people and start telling people about, just start ministering to people. So I not even tell, I, I hardly tell anyone about Jesus anymore, but when they hear I'm Catholic, they're like, Oh wow. You know? And, and, um, and so she's trying to run out the back door and they're like, you can't, Catherine, you can't run. This little girl needs you or this child needs you. And she was like, I have plenty of demons of my own. I don't need to wrestle anyone
2: else's.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she finally does come back and pray over this child, but it's like, that's exactly what it feels like, right? Sometimes when people, God puts people in your path and you're like, get me out of here.
0: I'd be afraid to do something like that just because like if I ever, you know, recognized the demon, I'd say, Oh, I know you, (laughs) you've been around a little too much.
1: (laughs) 1987.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I know you. Oh, I've seen you. Have we met before? Yeah. All right. Look. So it was like 20 minutes ago. I said, we we sort of need to wrap this up. Like I said, I I could talk to you for hours, Letitia. I thought I think this has not only been an informative but kind of a fun conversation, uh, and and so I, I thank you for coming on here. Hopefully, we can actually come on again now that people know your your story. We yeah. we can we can just talk straight up. Here's here's why the church is screwed up, and we here's how we <laughs> fix it. That, that would be stuff. so
1: fun. <laughs>
0: so thank thank you so much for this <clears throat> for this conversation for coming on today. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm just, suddenly. I'm all verklempt. I don't know what it is. But I <laughs> it it happens. happens. Okay, so thanks, everybody, for watching or and or listening. And until next time, thanks a lot. Bye-bye.